If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of James, chapter 3, as we continue now into uh, the middle of this epistle. James, chapter 3, looking at verses 1 through 12. Listen as I read God's Word. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example, although they are so very they are they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Well, you see it now more and more in the headlines today or in the news. Uh, and I'm speaking of something that's more of a trend because of our technology called cyberbullying. Have you seen this before? Cyberbullying? Um, it's a term that's used to describe someone who would, through means of either things like Facebook or MySpace or through texting or some form of medium, Twitter, would put certain words and thoughts communicated in the public arena more, whereby then they are, in a sense, bringing uh, a poor perspective to basically bully someone through communication online, through technical advances. And by using those kind of communication tools, then they harass and continue to barrage an individual, whether one person or many, so that it becomes almost unbearable. And so now there's even laws in certain states that are trying to come up with ways in which even school administrators and so forth can work with those that are involved in this type of behavior. You know, it used to be on the playground, you would call out a, a, a name and call someone a name, and that was kind of where it stopped, maybe. And maybe your parents would hear about it, or their parents would hear about it from a teacher, and then they would get it to stop. But it's much more than that today because the use of technology. And it's really almost, it's uncontrollable in many ways because the way that our technology is so advanced. You know, the word spoken, the word written, just words communicated can be very powerful. They can be very powerful. 
in the lives of those who receive them or hear them. James today in this passage of our text gives us a clear understanding of the power of words and how they are to be understood by believers as, as we have been given the ability to speak and to communicate words that God has given us the ability to do. So as James shares with us what the power of our words really is about, he first starts out in verse 1 by saying, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. James is, in a sense, speaking about our words need to under, be understood in the realm of accountability because we are accountable for our words. And at first glance, it would seem that James is addressing those who are teachers only in this text. And it might seem almost out of place in the midst of everything else James is about ready to speak about. An exhortation just to those who teach would almost be like, well, why is he just speaking to teachers? And then you realize the connection that James is bringing to bear. Teachers who speak God's truth, teachers who communicate clearly with words are held strictly because of their words. They are accountable very strictly because of their words that they speak on behalf of God as they teach and bring God's truth to God's people. And so, as James is reminding those who even teach, he's also reminding everyone that our words are very important. What we say truly needs to be accountable. We all are accountable for all that we say, and our words do have great influence over those whom we speak to. We truly do have an opportunity to influence others, not just teachers, but also all of us are accountable for our words. And when we speak words carelessly, there can be great damage. There can be great hardship. That's why it's important for all of us, brothers and sisters, to help each other with the words that we speak, especially when we're tempted to use words or to speak things that are hurtful, that are divisive or destructive in the life of someone else or even in the lives of the church. We must be careful in what we're doing in our words and how we're choosing to, to speak our words to others. God chose the written, spoken word as his medium for communicating truth. Think about that. God chose the word, words, and how he wanted to communicate to us the gospel, salvation, good news, his truth. You know, he didn't have to choose words. God could have designed us, designed his creation, his creatures, without having to use written words or through his prophets even spoken words. He could have just simply chose to communicate thoughts into our mind and just place them there. And then whatever thoughts we had would somehow he would communicate with those thoughts, and never even have a word. He could have created you without a mouth. Wouldn't that look kind of weird? Just no mouth. That's how God could have chosen, but he chose words. 
to both put into writing his revelation of who he was and what he has done for us through his son, the Lord Jesus, that's very special and unique for us that we have his very words. So for God to give us words is something very particular and special. He chose that medium. And so our words are also to be carefully understood and spoken very carefully. James calls us to accountability for our words, but he also calls us to understand self-control. Self-control, James has already mentioned the issue of being self-controlled in our words, in our speaking, as he did earlier in the book. We looked at James 1 verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry. What was James doing in the beginning? He was giving us a heads up. Be slow to speak. Why? Because when we're too quick to speak, we often have words that come out that are careless. So he's reminding us to be slow to speak words because those words have great impact. They mean a lot. Now in verse 2 of chapter 3, James points out two things. We all stumble in many ways, he says. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. James is pointing out two things in this particular verse. First, if a man is not able to control his tongue, he will likely not have self-control in other areas of his being. If someone doesn't have a control over their words, Often, often they will not have control over other areas of their life, and they will be destructive, not just through their use of words, but in other ways as well. That's why James reminds us of this in verse 2. But the second thing James reminds us in verse 2 is that though that's true, that someone's words, often if they're careless, might connect with their life of carelessness, that everyone also, everyone stumbles in controlling our words, the use of our tongue. No one is excluded from that. All of us stumble in ways using our words, our speech. Even James, he says, himself is one who would struggle. We all stumble in many ways. That's inclusive of James himself. We, he's including himself here. I included stumble in many ways. And even in the use of my speech and the words that I choose, James is understanding that. This past week, my, uh, uh, we went just briefly overnight Friday to visit with my mother up in Knoxville and father for Mother's Day weekend just to be with her. We completely surprised her Friday night when we showed up on her back porch. She had no idea we were coming. Uh, we don't usually do that, but we did it especially this week because Monday, my final surviving grandparent passed away. My mother's mother, age 91. And so uh, my mother's experiencing today her first Mother's Day without her mother on this earth. And many of you know how hard that is, that first time going through the firsts of a year when a parent passes. And so we spent the time with her, and it was really good. But I look back now, and uh, I've buried three of my grandparents, and I'll be performing the service for my fourth grandparent this summer when we're all together up uh, in uh, Virginia together as a family, extended family. And uh, 
I think back about my grandparents, my grandfather on my father's side particularly, and uh, very fond of him and the relationship we had, but he was a man of very few words. Maybe you know a relative like this or someone. He was just a man who worked hard all of his life, and spoke very little. I remember when we would, be, we would be going in the car somewhere together, and he'd be driving when I was a child and visiting grandma and grandpa, and we would go there, and he'd go to the store. Well, <clears throat> I'd get into his truck with him, and we'd go off to the store, and inevitably someone would make a wrong turn or do something wrong in traffic, and his hands were on the steering wheel. He always drove about half the speed limit whenever we went somewhere, but then he would do this with his finger and just keep driving. He wouldn't say anything like many of us who want to scream at the person that just cut us off or did something. He would just raise one finger and just kind of point him and say, shouldn't have done that, and just keep driving. And I knew what he was doing because, you know, that's how he expressed himself to his frustration. He wouldn't just let the words fly. Very, I don't think I can remember a time when I saw my father's father just have an outburst. I can't remember a time. I, I'm sure he probably did, but I don't, not around me did I ever remember a time where he just let the words fly. And uh, that impacted me greatly about how he was and how he handled himself. He certainly had, I believe, self-control that God had given him in his life in that area. Proverbs 10, 19 says this, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. He who holds tongue is wise. <clears throat> a wise saint once said this, there are two kinds of people who don't say too much, those who listen and those who talk a lot. I think that's very true. Sometimes we can talk a lot but not say too much because it's just a lot of words, just a lot of words. We need to be careful in our choice of not just what words but even how many words we tend to sometimes speak. The use of our speech, even among brothers and sisters, is one of the most powerful tools used to serve and to love and to edify one another. However, it can also be one of the most destructive tools, even in the body of Christ, by tearing apart brothers and sisters who are called to be in one accord. Ephesians chapter 4 again reminds us of our speech it challenges us with these words, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So when we are complaining about our circumstances, when we're whining about things that we are struggling with, it's important maybe to take a pause and to ask ourselves the question, is what I'm saying truly building the person who's listening to my words up? Is it building this person or these people around me up in what I'm saying according to their needs? Are my words truly beneficial to those who are listening? Whether it's one person that I'm speaking to or even a group, are my words benefiting those who listen? You know, being a member of Christ Community Church, being a, a part of a community of believers, we're called to receive great benefits in being part of the community, but also called to have a responsibility 
with our words. And it's so important in the life of the church that every person have an intention about our words and how we speak about and to and with one another. Since the beginning of when we started Christ Community, for those who have moved through the membership process and are members here at Christ Community, you have given a pledge, a pledge of intention. And it's written there in the insert in your bulletin as well of what we call a pledge of giving good reports. And it goes like this. In obedience to the word of God, I hereby commit myself to the goal of only giving good reports. When this is not possible, I purpose to remain silent or to privately go to that person, confirm my goal, and explain the offense that would hinder me from giving a good report. I hereby purpose to approach an offender in a spirit of genuine love, having first examined and corrected my own attitude and actions. Only if I am unable to restore an offender will I share the problem with others according to the principles of Scripture. And when I violate this goal, I purpose to ask forgiveness, knowing that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's so important to follow this intention for the life, the lifeblood of the church. Many a church, and maybe you've been part of a church that has experienced a division or considerable hurt due to words spoken out of accord and out of place. And God calls us to use our words and speak carefully those words to others and only speak to those in whom we should be speaking to when we're in a situation where we've been offended or hurt and God gives us clear instructions in his word for that and how we must follow it. But you know, as we think about the power of our words in accountability and self-control, it's also true, as James points out, that words, though they're very small in some ways, are very powerful. In fact, James spends several verses here describing, by way of three different analogies, the power of just words, how they are so powerful. In verse 3, he speaks about a horse and a bridle. And he describes that a bit in the mouth of a horse, no matter how large the horse, can easily turn a horse and be very powerful, though it's very small. You have a 2,000-pound animal, have a little piece of one or two-pound piece of metal, or even less than that, in the mouth, can literally turn a huge animal that way. I remember the summer uh, when we were in college, Charlotte was working uh, at a, a, youth, a youth ministry up in um, Fort Wayne, Indiana area. And so uh, I had the chance to go, and we were dating at that time, and I picked her up from the end of the summer and went to go get her where she was uh, serving for the summer internship. Never been to Fort Wayne, Indiana, but she stayed in the home of a church member of this church where she was working, and this member was right next door to an Amish family in that community because it was more of an Amish community. They had several acres of land. i never forget we were out there and standing that afternoon, and I looked up in this field, and there was... A huge train of horses all together coming around with a large wagon, and they were baling hay at that time of the year, cutting, large, uh, cutting the grass and baling hay. And it was really fairly um, old school in how they were going about it. But there were eight Belgian horses, probably over 2,000 pounds each, all lined up side by side. And it was amazing to watch the driver 
with all the reins in their hands, and literally just with a, a, a movement of the hands, all eight horses would go exactly where he wanted them to go. Probably over 15,000 pounds of animals were being just simply moved left and right, stopped and go through just the bits in their mouth and the reins connected to them. I thought that's an amazing power in just the fingers of this one driver. All that power behind leading uh, that, bay that machine and the, and the baling of the hay and all that was going on. You know, it's amazing to think about how powerful words are, just like that bit. He also goes on and speaks in verse 4 about a ship and a rudder. And just a large ship can be moved by just a small little rudder that directs the entire ship, no matter how large it is. Verse 5 and 6, he gives the third analogy, speaking about a fire and a spark. Very small little spark, as we've seen in all parts of our country, can, be, can launch a forest fire of great damage and destruction through just a very small single spark, whether it be from a cigarette or some uh, uh, campfire that wasn't put out. Something can be so destructive, set off by just a very small but yet powerful thing, like a spark to a fire. So James uses all these analogies to make the point. The point is that the smallest part of the whole has the ability and power to affect both the direction and the outcome. The smallest thing can be so powerful, like our words. Our words can truly have a great impact on the outcome of situations and things. How we choose to use them are, is very powerful. Curtis Vaughn in his uh, study guide on James says this about words. It can sway men to violence or it can move them to the noblest of actions. It can instruct the ignorant, encourage the dejected, comfort the sorrowing, and soothe the dying. Or it can crush the human spirit, destroy reputations, spread distrust and hate, and bring nations to the brink of war. Words can do those things. Just the power of words. But now that we've seen the power of words, and how we can use them, James then describes our powerlessness even over words, though they're small. James talks about in this passage our own powerlessness over words. Look at verses 7 and 8. All kinds of animals, James says, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Our inability to control our words, that's the powerlessness we have sometimes. Even though we're called through the power of Christ to have self-control, we are not perfect, even as James has said in verse 2. We stumble, we fall. We have in our own strength no power, really, over even our words. And James clearly states that no person is able to completely tame their tongue. No person can completely tame their tongue. Even though my grandfather, I did not see or remember his outbursts of words, I know they were there. They had to have been there. He did not 
completely tame his tongue perfectly. And James points out that mankind has the ability and power over every creature of the earth. When God created everything, he gave man dominion. He gave us dominion over all that he had created. All that he had created, we were created in his image and given dominion to steward and to manage all that God had created. Every living thing, the power to govern all that he had created. What an amazing power that is. But when man fell, when in the garden, spiritually, mankind fell, we lost the ability to govern ourselves and that privilege. We lost that perfect union with God, and we lost the ability spiritually to govern even our tongue. And great evidence of our broken nature is our own inability to control our tongue. You see, we're all born with a nature of sin, and in that nature clearly is shown through our words. For those of you that have children or have had children that were younger, one, two, three years old, how in the world do our children say things that we never told them to say? We never instructed our two-year-olds and three-year-olds to say those things, and yet the words will fly sometimes out of their mouths. And as a parent, don't you think, I never taught them that. How could they say that? How could they do that? It's because it's in their nature. It's in their nature. Children are a beautiful gift, but children are not innocent in the sense that even in their own hearts, as little children, things will come out that is within their heart. Words will come because of their fallen sinful little hearts. They struggle because it's something within. Their words come out describing what their heart is experiencing. James says it's a restless evil, and he paints the picture of an evil serpent. An evil serpent, in a sense, with a constant flickering tongue, constantly on its attempts with evil on its mind, the fangs of a serpent full of deadly poison. And that's the picture he's painting here when he talks about the power of words and what they can do in their destruction. Our inability to control our words is our powerlessness, but also our duplicity of speech is another thing, James says. Look at verses 9 through 12. He talks about we praise our Lord and Father with the same mouth, and with it then we curse men. Now the same mouth comes praising and cursing. It's our duplicity of speech. We can say things that are so wonderful in one minute and within a short amount of time say things that are just the opposite. Why? Because out of our heart can come the very things that we struggle with, praising and cursing. You know, it's easy sometimes to speak about someone who is maybe not anyone we'll ever meet, maybe in government, or somewhere we see on TV, or somewhere that we just know we'll probably never, ever come across that person. It's tempting to want to speak curses about them, or to speak ill about someone that we really maybe disagree with, or we have some other opinions or perspectives about them or what they're doing, but we don't think that even those words, though they never hear them, 
are still damaging. They're hurtful, even in our own testimony and what, who we are as God's image bearers. And what's interesting is not only are we image bearers, but if you think about it, anyone you've ever spoken about in a way that would not be honorable to Christ is also an image bearer. Even if they do not have a relationship with Christ at this time in their life, they are still image bearers of God. And so to speak about another person, we're speaking about one who is created in God's image, no matter who they are. And we must be careful to speak about God's image bearers with our words and what, what we say. And whether it's duplicity of speech or our lack of self-control, everything that James has brought up in our passage so far, he has rightly addressed points to the source beneath our speech. He points to the very heart of the issue. If our lips sp spread corruption, it's only because it first originated in our hearts. The heart is the real issue beneath what our lips produce. And that's what Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, he says these words, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when something comes out of our mouth, it's because it started in our hearts. Every time what comes out of our mouths starts well beneath our mouth in our own heart. And oftentimes we feel because we are powerless to control our heart, ourself. We can't control our heart. We can't control the desires and the temptations. We can't control those things in our own strength. So there's only one hope. There's only really one hope for our sinful speech. There's only one hope for our sinful hearts. And that is what James reminds us, the most powerful word. The most powerful word. You know, just as a person will wield great power through words, God himself has chosen to display even a greater power through speaking one most powerful word. Hebrews chapter 1, the author says this, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. You see, the gospel is truly about the power of of one word. It's one single word that God has made his revelation powerfully known. What single word could ever destroy the power of darkness? What single word could ever destroy Satan and all of his minions and all the evil that he seeks to use to overcome and to bring down God himself who created him. One single word could ever destroy that. Well, on the cross, and many of you know this, Christ did not say many words, but he did say a few words. And one word that Christ said 
was it is finished. Now you say, Mike, that's three words. It is finished. Well, in the English it's three, but in the Greek it's one. It's one Greek word. It is finished. It's one single word that he spoke. That word proclaimed at that moment throughout all of creation, all that God had made, that Christ had accomplished everything we need to be eternally with him forever. One single word. In one word, Jesus proclaimed that the spiritual debt that we owe because of our own sin, in one word, has been completely paid for and has been met in full forever. In one word, Jesus proclaimed that the power of sin in our lives has been now made powerless because of Christ's obedience perfectly. We are now in a position where we receive the power of God to overcome temptations. In one word, Jesus proclaimed that nothing remains for you or me to do in order for God to accept us. Nothing remains. One word, it is finished. One word has completely made it clear for all eternity there is nothing for you or me to do at all. God has finished it. God's most powerful word is Jesus, our Redeemer, our Rescuer, the one who saves. He's the most powerful word, and he's the one that we must have so that no matter what words come from our mouth, he is the final word.